Hi, my name's Mark Kelly. I'm one of the leaders at City Church Leeds, and I want to thank you for downloading this podcast. I hope that it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. You join us as we're journeying through the Gospel of Mark, and we're asking the question, Who is Jesus? A simple question with many answers. For more information about us and other resources and media, please visit citychurchleads.net. Okay, uh, if you've got your Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. It's great to be here this morning, great to have the family up with me as well. And uh, just feel at home, you know, home away from home. And it's quite a short distance as well, which is nice. We had a great time yesterday, and um, you know, I just want to encourage anybody who believes they may be called to teach and preach the first time I ever spoke at Leicester, Ian Russell allowed me to speak when I was 19 years old. And I was so scared the night before that uh, didn't sleep at all. Got up at very early in the morning and was sick a number of times out of fear of getting up to speak. And uh, all we do is, is by the power of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? And... Uh, you know, I really appreciate Mark's encouragement. He's so encouragement of what's going on in Hope College, and he's standing with me. But really, if God ain't there, what's the point? And if God ain't speaking, what's the point? And, and I just believe yesterday a number of people were touched and, and, and received revelation and healing from the Lord. So that's what it's all about, isn't it? It's a bit echoey, this. Could you turn me down a little bit? Is that okay? Okay, so let's just pray. Father, I thank you for the privilege of being here. Thank you for the privilege of having the breath to breathe today. Thank you for waking us up this morning. Thank you that your mercies are new every morning. Thank you that you're a faithful God. And Father, as we turn to your word right now, we just uh, ask that you would open the eyes of our heart wide to see wonderful things in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Mark chapter 6. I've got five points for you this morning on the topic of Jesus being the compassionate healer, and uh, hopefully they won't take too long, uh, but we're going to have a good time in the Word together, okay? So go to Mark chapter 6, if you're already there, that'd be great. We're going to read some verses from there, verses 34 and 35. I need to turn there as well, otherwise we'll be in trouble. Okay, so verse 34... But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them, because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, it says this, when Jesus is about the same event, when Jesus heard He departed from there and by boat went to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. Two gospel writers record the same event differently. One says that he taught them, one says that he went and healed them. I believe he did both at that point. If you read around this story, it's kind of interesting the point of time when this happened to Jesus. 
he'd actually just found out that the cousin that he'd grown up with, that he'd lived with from being a small boy, that he'd played together as a child, probably gone to the local rabbinical school together to learn as they grew up, to learn the Word of God together. This man that he looked up to, John the Baptist, had been beheaded by those that wanted to destroy his ministry. And he was Jesus' own cousin. He was a member of Jesus' family, and he had a great deal of respect for this man and a great love for this man, and suddenly this man was taken away from him. Suddenly, by evil men, this man's ministry was cut short, and he completely and utterly left the life of Jesus. What grief Jesus must have gone through at that point. But even in the midst of his own sorrow and grief for losing John, he still moves in compassion. You see, compassion has very little to do with self-centered human emotion. It has to do with the love of God. It has to do with God's love in action. And here is our Savior looking out to the people that needed His guidance, needed His love, needed His restoration, needed His rescuing, needed to feel that they were loved. I, I believe at this point Jesus could have probably done with uh, some support and some encouragement. But He found that in Himself and in His own relationship with Father to be able to move in compassion and teach people the Word of God and heal every sickness. My first point is this, that we are to be moved with compassion, not just sympathy. You know, sympathy is fine. It's a good thing. It's good to empathize with people, to be able to put yourself in their shoes. Absolutely a very important quality, an emotional, intelligent quality to be able to do that. And as Christians, we need to be full of empathy for other people. But compassion goes beyond empathy. Compassion is the, not just the ability to empathize with somebody and put yourself in their shoes, but compassion is the ability to change their walk forever. Compassion is the ability to bring supernatural power to see them delivered from their current plight. Compassion is the ability to bring healing and restoration, to bring in the kingdom. Compassion is the ability to allow the Holy Spirit to move through you and me to touch mankind. You see, if we are going to move in compassion the way Jesus moved in compassion, the first battle we need to face is the battle against fear. Because it's very easy when somebody comes to you with a physical ailment or with an emotional sickness, and you, it's very easy in some ways to say, well, I can see where you're coming from. Oh dear, give them a pat on the back, listen to them, which is all part of the healing process, it's good. But there's another level where we lay hands on the sick and see them recover. And you know, and just because sometimes when we lay hands on the sick, we don't see them recover every time, we just need to continue to do what God has told us to do and lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. And I believe that we need to be better at giving testimony of what God is doing. You know, I'm finding out, I've been at the church at Airedale for nearly a year now, and I'm starting to find out the testimonies of people in the community. I was listening to one lady yesterday, and she was just sharing her testimony, how she had cancer in her spine, and after prayer, the cancer left. That's an amazing testimony, but it was sort of matter of fact that this happened to her. 
But you know, God is so good, and there's so many testimonies in this room, and it's good to celebrate Jesus through testimony. There's power in testimony. In the midst of a situation where you feel disappointed, like was shared this morning, we come against disappointment, or we come against uh, the enemy in different things, the power of the testimony helps to come against him. Because if God has done it before, you can guarantee he'll do it again. So I believe that God wants us to be those that move in compassion. Grace itself is an example of compassion. Grace is similar to the word in in Hebrew, blessing, which is in Hebrew, barak, and it simply means to kneel down and bless you, kneel down and impart something to you, impart blessing, impart life, and that's exactly what God has done with us. His compassion has so gripped his heart for you and me that he's willing to stoop down and bless us, stoop down and heal us, stoop down and restore us. And the ultimate example of that is the cross. You know, in Matthew's gospel, he recounts the prophecy of Isaiah where Isaiah looked forward to what Jesus would do and, and he said this, surely he's carried our infirmities and our sorrows. You know, that hits every area of healing, doesn't it? He took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. He took up our infirmities means this, that he took up all our physical ailments. And our sorrow speaks of our emotional ailments, emotional healing. He took up those as well. I shared yesterday on this whole area, and I I really believe that sometimes as the church we've been a little narrow-minded on the area of emotional healing. You know, we don't walk up to somebody with a broken leg and say, get over it. We pray for them. We minister to them healing. Sometimes when it's areas of mental illness and emotional distress, we say, well, just get over it. Receive the joy of the Lord. Those things have no power over you. But just as we minister to the pain of a broken leg, we also need to know how to minister to the pain of a broken heart. Because Jesus came to heal both and came to restore both. And he took up our infirmities and he carried our sorrows. So God wants us to be moved with the compassion that he was moved with. When we read the stories of Jesus, instead of seeing ourselves as the person on the other end of the blessing or the healing, see yourself like Jesus. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 17, as he is, so are we in this world. So see yourself doing the things that he did because that same love and same compassion is in you and it's in me. And we have to start meditating that we are not just the recipients of blessing and recipients of grace and recipients of healing, which is all wonderful, but out of the overflow we receive, God wants us to bless other people and see results to other people's lives. My second point is this. It's time to believe that not only that Jesus can heal, but that he is willing to do so. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, we'll just turn there to... Verse 40, it says this, verse 40 and 42 of chapter 1. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion. Can you hear it again? Moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him. Just think about that for a moment. That is a compassion that's bigger than fear. Leprosy was a contagious disease. But Jesus didn't worry about contracting leprosy by touching that man. 
He was moved with compassion. You see, love is always greater than fear. And as we learn to operate out of the love of God, no matter what situation we come against, we will always operate out of love, even if it seems audacious to some, even if it seems reckless to some. You know, sometimes love does seem reckless in its abandonment. And here is Jesus touching somebody who is unclean. Not only is he in danger from a natural point of view of contracting a disease, but he's also in danger yet again of the wrath of the Pharisees because he's touching somebody who's unclean. Jesus doesn't care about what people think of him. He's moved with compassion. And you see, if we're going to be moved with compassion, not only have we got to get over fear of what may happen when we move, but also the fear of what people will say if we move. That we have to move out of the fear of man and the fear of pleasing or upsetting people and actually start to move in the compassion that Jesus moved in and be free to do that, unfettered by people's responses. You know, sometimes you can move in compassion and the person, the recipient, doesn't want what you've got, doesn't want to receive it, isn't a willing recipient. But that shouldn't stop us moving in compassion when God speaks to us to do so. I believe this question that this leper said to Jesus is such an important question and still an important question in the church of Jesus Christ. He says, if you are willing. You see, we mentally assent to the idea that God can heal. I believe God can heal. Seen a few examples, read a few scriptures, read a few books on healing way back when. So I believe He can heal, but also there's so much evidence that suggests that He doesn't always heal, or, or things don't always go to plan in the area of healing. And, and this quandary, this 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 double-mindedness goes on as we question because of results whether God is a healer. The Bible says a double-minded man receives nothing from the Lord and is unstable in all his ways. I believe it's time to be single-minded, to believe not only that God wants to heal, will heal, but also wants to heal. Not only that he can heal, but that he will heal. Amen? God wants us to be a people that says, if if you are willing, and Jesus' response to that leper is, I am willing, be healed, be healed. So I believe it's time to believe not only that Jesus can heal, but that he is willing to do so, and also willing to use us to do it. Amen? Hmm. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what does heaven look like? Well, turn with me to Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. What does heaven look like? Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. It says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away, utterly passed away. God will is the first two words of that verse. God's will is just this. No more pain. No more sickness. And Jesus prayed, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and told us as his disciples to pray the same thing. 
God's will is for healing all the time. His will is consistent that he wants to heal us all the time. My third point is Jesus came to do the will of the Father. Healing is part of God's will. If Jesus came to do the will of the Father, look what he did in the Gospels. He was that compassionate healer that we're discussing today. You know, Jesus never put sickness on someone to teach that person something. There's not one record in the Gospels of that happening. There's not one record of Jesus putting a particular bad circumstance on somebody to teach them something. Sure, he got angry in the temple and cast them all out because they were stopping people coming to the presence of God. But in terms of sickness, there's not one example of him cursing somebody with sickness in the whole of his ministry. Why? Because it's not God's will for us to be sick. It's not God's will for us to be in that situation. So the question beckons then, why does it happen so often? Well, Jesus said in John 16, in this world system, you will have trouble. You will have distress. You will have frustration. This is not good so far, is it? But he goes on to say, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And as we start to put our faith in the one who's overcome the world system with all its failings and all its sufferings and all its faults, we can be those who agree with him and overcome as well. There's certain things that we have questions on. There's certain things that you think, well, why didn't that person get healed? And why didn't that person get healed? But with all the questions, we must come back foundationally to what is the will of God. And it's clear for me from Genesis to Revelation, the will of God is to heal his people. For his people to live whole and live in divine health. Do you remember the Israelites? It says after 400 years of slavery in Egypt that they left Egypt, not one of them sick. Not one of them. And that was God's people under the old covenant. We are under the new covenant. How much more God wants us to be able to say amongst them, there is no one sick. The prophet Isaiah, looking forward to the church, said this, no one in Zion shall say, I am ill. I'm not saying this today to offend you, I know what it's like to be sick. I know currently what it's like in my family to have quite serious illness going on. But I believe it's time to contend for the promise of God. The Bible says every promise that was ever made by God is yes in Christ. And we speak it to the amen, to the glory of God. We speak the amen to the glory of God. What does that mean? To the glory of God means to the manifestation of that promise. That sometimes, guys, we, we just got to Stand on what God has said and rest in faith in Him until we see a different result and not open our mouths and say something contrary to that. You see, <clears throat> I massively believe that God is speaking to the church on grace at the moment. But what I would say within that is this, that grace, the message of grace, never meant us to be apathetic about the promises of God. It never meant, the message that, of God's grace never meant us to not fight the good fight of faith anymore and just sort of chill out a little bit. You know, there's things that we have to contend for in God. Basically, our mission on this earth, the reason we're here, is to enforce and maintain everything Christ obtained at Calvary. 
It has to be enforced. It has to be maintained. It has to be increased. Restoration has to come. And it's through you and me that it will by the grace of God. See, grace doesn't just save us, but it empowers change in our lives. And it empowers us to be zealous for God and to do the good works that He's called us to do. See, Jesus came to do the will of the Father. A question that some people ask me sometimes in pastoral ministry is, can we grow in our faith through suffering sickness? Well, I've seen examples of people go through serious sickness and grow in their relationship with God as a result of that. But what I would say is this, that you can grow in your faith without suffering sickness. Amen? And I still don't believe that suffering sickness is God's perfect will for you to grow in your faith. You see, sickness was never supposed to be a teacher of the people of God. The Holy Spirit is the teacher of the church. And I know we're called to the fellowship of Christ's sufferings, but we need to understand what those sufferings are. You see, I don't believe that God has called the church to suffer sickness, to suffer disease. I believe He's a compassionate healer yesterday, today, and forever. Philippians 3 verse 10 says this, Paul says, that I may know the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. What does that mean, fellowship of His sufferings? If we are to be the recipients of the compassionate healer Jesus and go about being compassionate healers, what is this issue of suffering? You may ask, well, Jeff, are you saying you don't believe in suffering? The answer is I don't need to believe it. I see it all around me. It doesn't take much faith to believe in suffering. Are you saying that suffering is not part of the life of the believer? And I would say to you, I believe that suffering is part of the life of the believer. But we've got to be very important what suffering we welcome into our lives as part of God's plan and what suffering we decide to reject and shut the door on in the name of Jesus. So it's clear from the Scriptures that we will suffer persecution for the name of Jesus. Amen? It's clear that in this world system there'll be distresses and things that come against us. But the orchestrator of those things that come against us, including sickness, is not God. It's because we're in this world system. But doesn't God get good out of all things? God can bring good out of any situation. Amen. But actually, the context of that verse in Romans 8 is Paul talking about praying in the Spirit, and then he says on the back of talking about praying in the Spirit, and in all these things God works together for the good to those who are called according to His purpose. He specifically says all these things in terms of all the things we take up in prayer. So in the midst of a suffering that you're going through, if you take it up in prayer, God can work it to the good. But if you just think in the suffering itself God will work good, uh uh-uh. uh. Do you see the point? And I really believe that because we don't have at the moment in the West that suffering for persecution, we kind of replace it with stuff that's not really what we're supposed to replace it with. You know, there's a connection between the word suffering in the New Testament and the word resistance. 
And the word fellowship in the New Testament means partnership and participation. So what is our partnership? What is our part in Christ's sufferings? Is it to bear in our bodies what he bore on the cross? No. Is it to bear suffering for Christ's sake in sickness? The answer is no. Because we are not called, our part of his sufferings, we are not called to bear what he's already borne for us on the cross. Our part in sharing his sufferings is sharing of persecution, but also resisting everything that this world tries to throw at us that is contrary to the will and promise that God has made. You know, so sometimes, guys, frankly, it shows more resistance to get out of bed when you feel the symptoms of sickness than to have a duvet day. That is a suffering of your faith. To say, by the stripes of Jesus, I am healed. I'm going to get out of this bed. Now, if I don't do that when I'm feeling sick, I can guarantee my wife will do it for me. Because we've got to believe the promise of God. And you know, the amazing thing is, you already have been given the faith of God to believe. You've been given the measure of faith, Romans 12 said. So you have the ability to believe God, to believe the will of God, and believe the Holy Spirit will be your teacher, not circumstance, and certainly not sickness. So our partnership and our participation in the sufferings of Christ is simply this, to enforce and maintain what He obtained at Calvary, We will participate in persecution for our faith and we participate in submitting ourselves to God and resisting the enemy and he will flee from us. My fourth point is this. Faith for healing comes from hearing the word on healing. Faith for healing comes from hearing the word on healing. You know, we have dumbed down so much in the church to make it more accessible, but sometimes I believe even if somebody takes 10% of what you say, in that 10%, the Holy Spirit can take that and bring life into somebody's heart and rise faith in the heart and develop the faith that they already have to see a healing take place. Luke chapter 5, verse 15, it says this. I'll just read it to you. However, the report went around concerning Jesus all the more, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. Do you see that phrase? To hear and to be healed of their infirmities. Here's another one in Luke chapter 6, verses 17 to 19. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with the crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and and be healed of their diseases. So they came to hear him and be healed of their diseases, as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits, and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went out from him and healed them all. They came to hear, and they came to be healed. There's so much stuff can go into our mind and into our heart of unbelief and fear. What if it doesn't work? Well, the question is, what if it does? 
And as we build ourselves, we already have the gift of faith, but it's our responsibility to develop it. And we develop it by not trying to psych ourselves up, but by resting in His faithfulness. And that's my final point today. Point five is this, that it's time for us, if we're going to be compassionate healers and receive His compassionate healing, it's time for us to have faith for healing and not have faith in our own faith, but have faith in His faithfulness. Not try and work it up, but have faith in His faithfulness. What has He already promised? What has God already promised? What has been ratified in the blood of Jesus? What has the Holy Spirit been poured out for to give us a guarantee of what is to come? Part of it is the promise of healing and deliverance, not just in the church, but in the world. Sarah, mighty woman of faith, that's how the New Testament recalls her. It says this in Hebrews 11, verse 11, by faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed as she bore a child when she was past the age because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. See, that's the key. It's not about our ability to be faithful. It's not even about our ability to have faith on our own. It's considering the fact that we have a compassionate, faithful healer who is the same yesterday, today, and forever and wants to continue to minister healing through his people to those who need it in this day and this hour. Would you stand with me, please? In this house, we are real. But we also make mistakes. And when we do, we make sure we say, I'm sorry. We give second chances to anyone. We also have lots of fun. In this house, we definitely forgive. We also do loud. Give the best hugs. We are family. And in this house, that means we love.